everybody, welcome to Why Are Castles Round, a new podcast about history for people who don't know anything about history. My name is Piper and I am the resident history idiot, I guess. I know some things about history, uh, but the facts don't stay in my head, which is why I have Patrick here. Hello. <laughs> who knows a bit more about history than I do. Patrick, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, so my name is Patrick. I am what I would charitably describe as a amateur historian. Um, I read a fair amount of history, economics, politics, um, that sort of thing. I have a degree in sociology um, and have been interested in history since I was very, very small. Um, so yeah, most questions I can either answer or with a little bit of reading I can answer. I think the best thing, the reason why I started this podcast and I think that's something that's been really interesting to me about you throughout our entire like friendship and relationship is that I could ask you anything about any area of, era of history and you will just like break it down and explain it to me and in a really engaging way. Um, and that's kind of why I wanted to set up this podcast because we have those really interesting conversations and I think they'd be interesting to other people as well. Uh, so yeah, I think without further ado, shall we like get into it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I thought you'd probably laugh at me for this, but the first sort of question i guess that i would want to pose to you is the title of our podcast <laughs> why are castles round and i know that that's like i know the answer to the question because it's, it's kind of become a little bit of an in-joke um sure <laughs> okay so the development of castles is, is an interesting thing um they appear in different parts of the world in different styles um at different times throughout history um, but sort of the, the castle that most people think of um, when they think of castle is probably either going to be something like uh, Windsor Castle um, or the uh, Hohenzollern um, Castle in um, Germany. Is that the one that was the fairy tale one? Yeah, yeah, the yeah exactly. Princess yeah. type one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> lots of towers and, and things. Um, I call it the Hohenzollern one, but I'm not 100% sure that was who built it. But anyway, the uh, Castle New Neuschwanstein, I think. Apologise for the terrible pronunciation there <laughs> so medieval castles um across sort of europe and and in particular for the sort of content of this answer really i'm going to be focusing on english and northwestern europe um, the castles that were built there they come out really from um the normans and what happens in um, medieval france or early medieval france so while um, the Viking period is, is going on, so we're talking sort of the 8th, 9th, 10th centuries here. Um, most fortifications are fortified simply by walls um, around, on top of sort of earthenworks. Um, usually you get them around villages or some small towns, things like that. Um, they're really just sort of continuations of um, walled defences that have been being built for hundreds or thousands of years. You know about Vikings, as in Vikings had castles? No, they didn't. That's I was the point. Say. <laughs> so the, the, that period, particularly in England and, and the Scandinavian um, sort of part of the world, there aren't castles as we understand them. They're just sort of walled villages. The difference. Right. Okay. Okay. I understand. Yeah. So yeah. it's like just like how Warwick has a wall around yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there'll be like a wooden wall, mm. um, usually you know spiked wooden palisade fencing or something like that um perhaps not even very high um certainly not as formidable as the fortifications produced by the roman legions or um anything like that 
But what happens then is in France, um, there's a sort of development of uh, feudalism, early feudalism, um, where you have uh, nobles who um, give fealty to the king um, and they in turn have to defend and protect their lands. And so one of the ways they do this is by start to build what are called Mott and Bailey castles. And that's an extension. It like it's made out of Bailey. Yeah, it's an extension of the fortified town or village. So what you do there is you build yourself a mound, um, and that's called the mot. Oh, like Warwick Castle has a mound. Yes. Sorry, yeah. this is like. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Yeah. So, so what you do is you you get a mound, <clears throat> a bunch of mud, and you chip it all in a pile. Yeah, you literally you dig you dig you dig you dig a, a moat, um, and you pile the earth up in a mound, um, and then you will have you build a wooden keep on top of that. Um, and that's your bailey and then there'll be a wooden um sort of fortified bridge or walkway that runs down from that into the mot which is a usually circular fortified um set of dwellings um and they're very common they become common in sort of um 10th and 11th century france and then what happens in england um, is of course the the Normans invade the Normans being Northmen, the sort of the descendants of Scandinavians who've settled in Normandy and France, and they bring across with them this technology, these Mott and Bailey forts. They actually literally bring them across. They have pre-built um, fortifications that they break down, take across on their ships, and then when they land in England um, in 1066 and they defeat um, the Harold. Godwinson at Hastings. Who's that? Hmm? Who's that? Uh, Harold Godwinson is the king, the Anglo-Saxon king. Oh right. Um, and he he's defeated at Hastings, and they immediately start to stamp their dominance on Anglo-Saxon England through the use of these fortifications. So they go to London and they build um, what becomes the Tower of London. They go to Windsor and they build. Oh, I don't what know. So the Normans Windsor. built the Tower of London. Yeah. So all of these castles, well, not all, but most of the medieval castles in England. Um, are, a lot of them are um, Norman in origin because the Anglo-Saxons don't have anything to respond to this. They don't have it. They've never experienced castles before. They might have heard of them. Some of them might have seen them before if they'd gone abroad, but they didn't have, in terms of like tactics or strategy, any real way of defeating them because they'd never fought people that had okay. them before. So it's kind of the whole like archers on horseback versus archers versus horseback people. Yeah, essentially. The right well, kind um, of. It's... Have I got that <laughs> so it it's just a new sort of phase in um, military fortifications and in strategy that is introduced into um, England in you know, 1066, the, the uh, late 11th century. And because it's so new, the Anglo-Saxons that try and resist can't really. They might be able to, you know, there are some skirmishes that go on. Um, there's the harrowing of the north where the Normans just totally destroy the north of England, um, but it's all—all all that resistance is essentially becomes moot because you can't dislodge or they can't dislodge the Normans from their fortifications. Mm, okay, so just so that I can get this clear, sorry, I know you keep mm-hmm. on talking, I keep interrupting you. No, it's okay. But, <laughs> so the yeah, the Anglo-Saxons are just sort of like living their lives, being happy, chappies, just being like la 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 la, and the Normans rock up in these boats, start building these like mounds yeah. and castle, early castles like yeah. fortifications. Uh-huh. And because that's you, you can't really beat that when you haven't fought that before, and yeah. it's, it's you know don't really have anything to attack that with. They just sort of got 
wiped out a little bit. Yeah, essentially. So the, the Anglo-Saxons are, are thoroughly defeated uh, in the course of about five, ten years. In terms of castle development, which is what we're actually talking about, um, the Mott and Bailey very quickly gives way to... Because that's a wooden construction. Um, and most Mott and Baileys are round as a... Sort of, it's easier to build. Um, some are square baileys, but most are, are round. They become stone quite quickly once they become entrenched. So when it's clear that the Normans have replaced the Anglo-Saxon aristocracy, that the uh, William um, the Conqueror has succeeded, um, they start very quickly to turn this, the wood into stone. And then you see... In England specifically, you can see a lot of surviving castles, unique in big parts of Europe that we managed to maintain our medieval castles, primarily as a result of not having to constantly fight wars, <laughs> unlike in Europe. Um, and you can see sort of the, the threads of castle development in places like Pembroke Castle, Windsor Castle, Warwick Castle, things like that. Um, and in also in the ruins. So can you... Expand on that. Sure. Um, sorry. I no, that's okay. This is, important. this is the point, isn't it? Um, so you can look at the different ruined castles and the surviving castles in England and you can see clear developmental steps throughout the centuries as the medieval period goes on. Um, initially, castles are often square. I'm about to come to the answer of the question why are castles <laughs> round. Um, and square castles are easy to build they don't require you know particularly specialist architectural techniques um you can build them quite quickly they are robust they're sturdy all the rest of it however as castles become more commonplace and wars occur so you have you know feuding um noble lords there are periods like the, the barony wars um uh the Wars of the Roses, things like that. Um, and also in Europe, um, you have to come up with ways of defeating castles mm. by siege. And there's a variety of different ways you can do this. And one of the most common is to throw big, heavy things at them. Ah, um, catapults and trebuchets. Catapults and trebuchets and things like that. And if you have a square... Insert Monty Python reference here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so if you have a square building or a rectangular building... The walls are going to be flat, they're vertical and they're flat. And what that means is that when you throw something at it, like a rock, um, it will hit and it will hit square on and do a lot of damage. Mm, physics. Okay. Physics, exactly. Uh, okay, yeah, so it's, yeah, like punching a wall. Yes, exactly. So if you, and this, to a certain extent, you can see this in tanks as well, but that's another episode. Um <laughs> So what then happens is that our castle architects and castle designers begin to build round... First of all, they start with round turrets and round keeps, things like that. Because as you have a round wall, if you try and throw something at it, it's more likely to glance off. Um, or at least the damage is going to be less. You can also see the thickness of walls will increase. The, what they build the walls out of changes. Um, there are attempts to try and... Uh, make sort of not projectile proof but to to make the walls of castles thicker sturdier um things like that so ultimately like castles are round because catapults got invented but you said that square castles were easier to build 
Yes. Why aren't they different? Why aren't why isn't it easier just to build? Like, what what difference does it make in sort of how it's built? So my knowledge of architecture is limited to non-existent. So apologies <laughs> in advance to any architects who are listening. Please do correct me when I'm wrong. Um, the when you're building a square wall or a, or the corner, you're essentially just building it like Lego bricks. Mm. You've got your blocks of stone, your blocks of brick, or whatever, and you're placing them one on top of the other, staggered. Um, they don't have to the stone or the rocks don't have to be shaped in a particular way. They're easier. To, the individual blocks are easier to make. If you're building something round, you actually have to have curved blocks, which are harder to make, right. more expensive to make. That sort of thing. So it's not just a case of like lining up the blocks in a sort of like a circular pattern. Yeah. No, because you could do that, um, and I'm sure there probably are examples of that. But if you want to have a secure face of the mm. castle to prevent things like people climbing up it, or to make it sturdier and more secure, you want the blocks to fit together, okay. end to end. Whereas if you have square blocks and you put them in a circle, what will happen is you'll get these gaps. That will appear sort of v-shaped gaps that will appear and those are weaknesses and weak points particularly if you're having heavy things thrown right out. okay that makes sense um so that essentially is why castles are round is it's an early form of armor essentially mm. they're trying to make the, the the walls thicker and one of the ways of doing that actually is to curve your wall um, because it means that when you throw stuff at it it's more, much more likely to glance off and do less damage then of course technology develops and throughout the whole medieval period you see um, siege weapons become more effective and more efficient and eventually of course gunpowder appears cannons arrive and cannons really change the game because all of a sudden you know you go from throwing things with a catapult which takes time to well it, not just that it takes time it's more that the speed and the impact of the projectile is whilst powerful don't be wrong i wouldn't want to be underneath a rock being thrown by a catapult but the difference between that and a cannon is is huge mm. because a cannon is being a cannonball is being propelled by an explosive force mm. um it's much more accurate um even early cannon are much more accurate than catapults and trebuchets and things i'm just thinking in terms of speed it's like i've seen the catapults being like charged i guess you could call it when mm. they have to wind it up mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um or trebuchets. Did I say trebuchets or catapults? I can't remember. Both. Trebuchets. Yeah, you have to yeah. <laughs> and um, it's um, it's a lengthy, mm -hmm. you know, it's a lengthy process. You have to really like wind up. And when you're in the middle of a like a war like a war field, a, ba <laughs> a battlefield, that's I'm assuming disadvantageous. Um, to an extent, but the so. thing is <coughs> disadvantageous. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to an extent, but I think that the important thing there is that with sieges, you often have plenty of time. Because the defenders aren't going anywhere. They're often unable to come out of the castle. And you can sort of just stand there and throw stuff at them at your leisure. Um, what cannons do really is they make the projectile much more accurate. Much more powerful. And all of a sudden you find castles that are built to defend against cannon. Change shape again. Um, and you develop, or they develop into what becomes star forts. Which are very low lying castles do we have any of those in england no those are primarily european development Ooh. or rather i say no there are some they were built during the english civil war but mm. none of them really survived they are 
you can find some like remnants of them. There was a one in Cambridgeshire that appeared in a flood recently. Oh wow! Um, so my my initial knee jerk thing of I don't know they don't know that's not true, but it's <laughs> it's they don't survive. I okay. don't think there are any surviving star forts in England. There's It'll plenty. Be interesting to have a look and see if that's the case. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. that's something I'll, I'll have a look at um, after this. But um, I know for a fact that Europe is filled with star forts. Is that uh, because that there were more sort of wars you mentioned earlier that um you know the english castle sort of stopped because there weren't as many sort of wars yeah in england whereas there were in europe so that's yes. why the star castles developed yes okay yeah exactly so essentially what happens with england is that after the um battle of bosworth and the tudor dynasty appear the medieval warring period sort of ends and England, and to a lesser extent, um, Scotland and Ireland, settle into a period of relative peace for quite a long time. Um, and the next sort of outbreak of serious fighting isn't really until the sort of 17th century and the, in the civil wars um, in Scotland and England and, and Ireland. Um, and there's no development really of castles between that point, sort of from the, the end of the... Um, Wars of the Roses through to the English Civil War. Mm. Various different kings and queens do build castles, and you know there are forts built around the coast by Henry VIII to guard against French invasion, which are round, um, specifically because they are designed to defend against naval artillery. Um, are they no? Are they different to cannons? <laughs> <laughs> naval cannon. So so yeah, cannon, early cannon, catapults, things like that. Um, and you can go and see them. The I'm just wondering why they were why were they round when cannons could destroy that. Um, it's just that at the time that was the best design they had. Oh, okay. So they're okay. designed. They are designed to prevent, or rather, minimise damage from cannon. It was literally better it's than just, nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so again, you know, if you and if you look at them, they are actually quite quite round. Um, so it would be very difficult. In fact, probably impossible to get a direct hit inverted commas because the ball is always going to hit something that's slightly slanted mm. um, which increases obviously the chance of it glancing off um, of course the thing is that cannonballs often made of lead so they would deform to match that but they were never really tested the, the forts that Henry VIII built um, never saw um, combat mm. um, but yeah a lot of them now I, from what I know are um they kind of ended up being like English castles at least kind of ended up being kind of a fancy party holdings and stuff and and they were like a sign of wealth rather than yeah. protection I don't know if I've phrased that very well yeah no you're right so essentially what happens is that as the political situation in England stabilizes with the end of the War of the Roses castles go from being a defensive place where you you know, retreat to in time of war if your neighbouring lord attacks you or your, you know, anything like that, to a sign of, as you say, wealth and power. So a good example of this is actually the Kenilworth Castle and Warwick Castle. So Warwick Castle, as a military fortification, isn't very good. Oh, really? Yeah. But, but Warwick Castle? Yeah, it's great. It's, it's a really... <laughs> it's beautiful. It is. It's a fantastic <laughs> example of a castle and it's... Um, you know, imposing, and I wouldn't particularly want to try and attack it myself. It's got one of those chompy door things. <laughs> the portcullis. Yeah, yeah, chompy door things is its official name. But if you name, compare it to Kenilworth Castle, which has a much greater defensive 
um, properties. It's, okay. surround, it's surrounded by marshland, it's got um, significant water defences, it's got really minim, minimal access to it, um, it has its own access to things like water and all the rest of it. What Warwick does, or did originally, um, was it, it was part of a chain of defences built to um, by the Saxons actually to defend against uh, Viking raiders. Hmm. Um, but it wasn't a castle, it was a defensive site. So it was Oops. a fortified town. Okay, so the Warwick Normans, itself was the fortified yeah, town yeah, Warwick, and then the Warwick castle was, the was just... The castle is, is built by the Normans. They okay. rock up, there's a Saxon fortification, they turn it into a castle. Mm. But in terms of its actual defensive properties, if you look at what happens during the various different wars that um, Warwick Kingmaker is involved in, he never defends Warwick. He always goes to Kenilworth and defends Kenilworth when he has to defend anything. All right, okay. So Kenilworth Castle, potent defensive structure. Warwick Castle, a fancy house. So, okay. Because like, Warwick Castle's older, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. <laughs> we should probably like mention like we live in Warwickshire, which is why <laughs> we're um... <laughs> talking about Warwick Castle. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I, I know a fair bit about Warwick Castle after being there quite a few times, mm. but um, I know that it's it was built in ten sixty six. Yeah, it's it's quite quite an early one. It See, might not be sixty six, but it that. might be. It's definitely the ten late ten sixties. It's one of the early ones that the Normans build. I think I had it in my head from the get the guidebook for when I was a little kid going to visit the bus. Yeah, it might well be ten sixty six. Yeah, it might well be ten sixty six. That's when the mound was built. So that must have been the mound that. That's, um, yeah, that's the Motton Bailey, the Motton Bailey that thing up. that you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, exactly. And then it was expanded from there, but it wasn't ever actually like good defensive strategy. Then it was just sort not, of a. Yeah, not really. I mean, put there because well, there's a town here, so we might as well put a castle here yeah. to fortify it. So, it's it commands the river, and it commands Warwick Town. It was part of an existing defensive chain of fortified towns that the Saxons built, and the Normans use it as a base of operations and a way of going, we're in charge now. Mm. Um, but it's, in, as I say, it's sort of later on in the medieval period, in terms of defensive um, sort of use, it's very limited, um, purely because of its situation. Mm. Kenilworth on the other hand much better um, but yeah they become manor houses they change lords and, and sort of the aristocracy change from building and maintaining castles which are very expensive to build even more expensive to maintain to big manor houses still expensive but cheaper cheaper mm. to maintain, cheaper to build they're also nicer to live in because mm. castles at heart are military fortifications if you're living in them they're not necessarily the nicest, comfiest of thing of places to be. They tend to be a bit damp. Exactly, yeah. It can be damp, they can be cold. Um, they're not built with comfort in mind. They're built with defensive in, you know, military situations in mind. Mm. Um, so, you know, later on, um, you know, people do start building these things. There is a difference, however... If you go up to the borders of Scotland and England, you get what are called Peel Towers. That's P-E-L-E. And they are fortified manor houses. They're like mini castles, really. Hmm. Um, and they're square. What? <laughs> they're square because the wars that they were built to do, the, the fighting they were built to defend against, wasn't organised siege warfare between armies, but raids by clans and family groups of English and, and lowland Scots mm. that would cross the border and steal each other's cattle and kill each other 
Um, and that border reaving went on for centuries, really. It, it has its sort of heyday in the Elizabethan period, <clears throat> the Tudor period. Um, but they build, essentially, the, the families there, they build these peel towers. They're big, multi-storey, sort of four or five-storey tall buildings. And the entrance is usually on this, on the first floor, not the ground floor. Mm. So there's like a wooden set of steps that can be destroyed or burnt if it's attacked. So that you can't get in. Um, very small windows. So, like. what um, what stopped though? So, th- why were they not? They they're not around because they were. They weren't ever. Between. They weren't ever under a threat from castles or from cannons or from castles. Um, large castle gets up and starts hitting things. No, they were never under threat from <laughs> use D&D, of like, catapults. Uh, yeah, yeah, gazebo in the castle. Um, they were never under threat from catapults or trebuchet or cannon or anything like that. Okay. Um, so they were just the best thing to do because for those people, if it was like, if I was going to build a castle, if my neighbour was attacking me with like bricks and rocks and swords and stuff, then then it wouldn't matter if it was around. It would just be this is the most easy way of building a castle. Yeah. I'm going to build a square. Yeah, exactly. It's cheap. It's relatively quick. Um, and also it's house-shaped. So the windows might be small and tiny and more designed to shoot your musket out of, but at least they're windows and also, you know, it can be house-shaped and you can put rooms in it that aren't round and weirdly shaped. Mm. Um, so castle development is always the result of an essentially the arms race between the besieger and the besieged. Um, the designers of castles are always trying to build things that are um, basically... Uh, undefeatable um and that means that the people the the military engineers who come up with siege engines and siege weaponry are always trying to defeat those fortifications so like i say you start out with square buildings square castles because they're easy to build catapults and trebuchets become powerful enough to knock holes in the wall when you make them round now you get cannon okay well we'll make the roundness tighter the circumference of the things uh, not circumference the circumference yeah the circumference tighter so you have a, a much rounder face okay that's not working anymore all right so then we move to star forts what's the advantage of a star fort so star forts are very low to the ground and they're very angular so if you look at a star fort from above the shape of a star mm. hence the name star fort and they're basically constructed out of triangles mm. um and then when you look at them from the front if you were attacking them it's often very low to the ground, so it's a much lower, harder to hit target mm. to start with. And it will disguise deep ditches and the trenches that any attacking force have to get across. Mm. Those trenches and ditches will always be under fire from multiple angles. Okay. Because of the nature of the triangular portions. Mm. They'll often have, um, I can't remember the name for them now, annoyingly. Um, there are little sort of mini forts outside the star forts that are triangular bastions. That's what they're called, bastions. Mm. Um, and these triangular bastions will serve to break up any attack. Um, they have to be defeated mm. if you want to take the castle or take the fort. But you can't... In any attack on them, other bastions will be able to provide supporting fire. Right, okay. So it's, it's kind of like a turret, but... Um... Um, Kind of, yeah. It's kind of like a turret in a classical castle. In like a not not in a not in a machine vehicle sense. sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like I thought tur- turrets weren't necessarily. I'll change the subject slightly, but this turrets aren't necessarily always vehicles. I thought they were like. Yeah, 
so in, the, in like the game Red Alert, you had turrets that were like just stationary like objects. Yeah, yeah. So a turret, <laughs> turret is the the round bit on the edge of a castle wall. So classical castles got four walls and four turrets. Yeah. If you okay. were, if you were like a oh, child's drawing okay. a castle. Yeah, I was thinking of like a turret and like. Yeah, so a tower like the like the um, Caesar's tower. Caesar's tower Caesar's and Bear tower. tower and yeah. Those are turrets. Um, and then yes, you have turrets which are like little on a tank you've got a turret or something like that um but about so a bastion functions in much the same way as a, as a turret or a tower on a castle will do mm. in that it serves to provide covering fire to the other parts of the wall um and it will break up and attack um but the key thing about star forts is that they're sloped okay and they're sloped at a very aggressive angle which direction are they sloped towards in? so if you um Imagine you're stood on top of a wall mm. of a normal castle. You're going to have basically a straight drop. Yeah. But if you stand on the parapet of a star fort, the ground will slope away in front of you. What's the And the reason for that, that is that when you shoot a cannonball at it, it will bounce off. Oh, okay. Because what's happening is that the angle of attack, instead of being 90 degrees from the ball hitting the wall, mm. it suddenly becomes like... 30 degrees. Okay. So what happens is the ball will hit it and skip up. Ah, okay. Bounce off. That's kind of funny. <laughs> how did they know, like, how do they invent those sorts of things? Like, is there any record of who invented it? And, um, and... So the Star Fort designers, um, there are some very famous ones. And they basically, they come out of... <clears throat> now, I'm going to get this wrong. <laughs> I can feel it. Star forts originate in sort of northwestern central Europe. There's a lot of wars in the Renaissance period. Um, wars of religion, the Thirty Years' War, um, various wars in, in the Holy Roman Empire, there's wars of succession, um, lots and lots of wars. And as a result of that, the star fort emerges. Um, essentially as a outgrowth of field fortifications that are developed to defend against cannon fire and, and things like that. Um, the, there are a couple of people who become really famous for designing star forts and building them, and they sell their expertise all around Europe, mm. um, so spread the technology. And I can't for the life of me remember their names. So yeah, I was wrong. It's they they come out of Italy actually, not France. Mm -hmm. um, and the person I'm thinking of is Vauban. Vauban. Yeah, um, Vauban is the Marshal de Vauban. He was the military engineer um, employed by Louis the Fourteenth of France. And this is why I got the French connection from was Vauban. And um, by this time, traditional castles have ceased to be built. Um, they're pointless. They can't defend against anything. You see that in action in the English Civil War, where the majority of English fortifications are traditional castles, medieval castles, and they just can't really stand up to concerted siege action um, in the modern Just period. as a aside, mm -hmm. when I've, I've heard the term siege action about 500 times, and I think I don't actually know what it means. Okay, so a siege is when you have a, a place... Mm. That you want to attack but you know that attacking it directly is going to cause huge numbers of deaths mm. 
mostly to your own men. You're not really concerned about the enemy. Okay. So what you do is you surround the place and you wait for the defenders to give in. Oh, okay. Um, and you can have an aggressive siege where you'll you know, constantly be firing at the enemy fortification or town. You might be raiding it. You might, you know, throw rotten carcasses into the town. You might set fire to things. You might try and destroy the walls. Maybe stop there, like um, incomings and outgoings. Oh yeah, so, yeah, that's, know, a, that's a critical them. part of a siege. You, yeah. you, what you're doing essentially is you you surround a town or a castle. You stop anything getting in or out, and you wait. You starve the defenders out. Essentially, your coronavirus. Basically, yeah, um, <laughs> and that's a siege. Okay. And sieges can vary from, you know, very small things to very long ones. So, for example, in the Second World War, the city of Leningrad in Russia is besieged by the Germans and their allies, and that runs for something like nine hundred odd days. Mm. And the people inside Leningrad are reduced to eating the dead. Oh wow! Okay. So, going back to what you were saying mm-hmm. before, I did no, sidetrack right. about what sieges are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was about how star um, forts were easier to, less easy to siege, 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 besiege, besiege. Um, not so much that they're less, they're harder to besiege. It's just that they're harder to do damage to with cannon. Right. You also can't really collapse the wall of a star fort in the same way you can with a traditional castle. One of the things you can do with a traditional castle is called mining, and you basically you just dig underneath the wall, and then the yeah you dig you dig a diggy hole under the wall, and the weight of the castle's wall causes it to fall into the hole that you've built under the ground. So it'll just collapse, and then all of a sudden there's a hole in the wall, and you can storm the castle. With a star fort, because the walls are much wider because of that big slope you can't really do that mm. you still can you can pack you know pack explosives under it and blow it up but it doesn't collapse in the same way as a traditional castle would and don't get me wrong you can still damage them with cannon fire mm. they're not invincible it's just that it's harder to do okay so are there any other different types of like um like shapes of castles um, <clears throat> quite possibly. Mm. So there's the star fort itself comes in lots of different shapes and sizes, and the ones I've been talking about really are sort of like the the Vauban type stuff from the seventeenth um, century, eighteenth century, mm. which is like the pinnacle of the star fort. And after that time, um, artillery starts to become so effective that fortifications become less and less useful. Mm. Um, there are fortifications built all across the world um, in different styles. So the Maori built fortified um, settlements um, and famously defeat the British New Zealand um, colonists at the Battle of right, Battle of Pau, Pau Gate, something like that. Mm. Um, the uh, Inca and the, the Aztecs they build their own fortifications by and large most of these fortifications around the world tend to be quite simple um, in China and Japan you get quite extensive castles being built again they've got a long history of quite violent warfare not that not the warfare isn't violent but there's an, sort of intense periods of warfare um, particularly in China um, you get very you know, whole 
huge wars with massive armies, much, much bigger than anything Europe can field at the same time. Um, and sort of one of the, the things that occurs as a result of this, obviously, is the building of castles and building of fortifications. Generally speaking, most castles around the world tend to follow the same sort of patterns. So they're, you know, they're big enough to get lots of people in. They've got walls to hide behind and you try and make those walls as thick as you can mm. to defend against enemy attack. Um, Japan is interesting because lots of their castles are wood. Yeah, what's, what's that about? Um, it's primarily a result of... It's an easy thing to get hold of. Mm. Japan is very poor in raw materials. Mm. Um, and there are stone castles in Japan. They do exist, but they're not... The majority of, like, Japanese castles were mostly wood. Mm. Um, the way the wars were fought led themselves to wooden castles rather than stone ones. Um, equally, if you go to places like... Um, the Middle East, and you look at castles built by, um, you know, the bibli sort of biblical era civilizations. Again, they're not really castles in the sense of, you know, turrets, uh, walls that we think of in in northern Europe, but they are fortified towns. Um, you get things like Masada, which is the big fortified settlement on top of a, a hill um, in in Israel. Um, Fortification is a very common thing. It's a something that's been going on basically since settlements appear. Mm. Um, it makes sense. It's, yeah, exactly. You know, how a, else are we going to defend ourselves from other people? Yeah, yeah. let's build something build thick and yeah, and so we can all hide behind it and not be killed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's that what what you what you then find is that in parts of the world like Europe, <laughs> where warfare is a very constant thing, and it becomes something that essentially if you look at european like civilization inverted commas um war is a sort of key component of europe for a very long time basically until the eu yeah essentially Suddenly until until about 1945 <laughs> well uh, all right until about 19 okay let's, all right let's just be simple about this until the end of the second world war europe doesn't really go through long periods of peace mm. um and so europe really becomes the sort of center of castle building and castle design and um that's for a reason and it's basically because <laughs> we're so busy fighting each other that it becomes imperative to be able to fortify your holdings fortify your lands and defend yourself because you never know whether your next door neighbor or your next, the next country along is going to decide whether suddenly actually they want to come and jump all over you. Surely that's true of everywhere in the world, though. Um, well, yes and no. So the world is filled with warfare. Europe and places like China and India and um, Japan build castles and they build fortifications and they build, you know, things like this in terms of castles that are round <laughs> it doesn't have to necessarily be yeah, on yeah. That, i'm just saying just saying in, in <laughs> sort of harking about the thing when we think of castles we partly think of european castles because we're european because a lot of our culture is european centric 
and it looks at you know the, the Disney castle is you know there's the classic castle the fairy tale mm. castle and that's a European castle central European castle sure. it doesn't really look at like Afghan castles or Indian castles or you know fortifications built by um, the Indonesians or you know, any of this stuff mm. um, and we don't really think of those when we think of castles but we should though that's, yeah, I mean there are parts of castles so I mean maybe we should talk about that in more detail then like is that something that you would be interested in like yeah I mean I think one of the things that's fascinating about fortifications as a, a topic or as a as a a thing I guess <laughs> is that it's so universal um, because you know defence because humans, people are really good at good stabbing at each, other. each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> humans humans are great when it comes to killing each other. We're really good at inventing things to do that. Um, and we're also quite good at inventing things to try and stop ourselves from being stabbed um, or, you know, shot or whatever. Is it, is it kind of because, because Europe was sort of... We had a lot of empires, like the British Empire, obviously, mm. and then there was the French Empire and... The Dutch and, and the Dutch, Portuguese yeah, and Yeah, and there was a lot of empires in Europe. Yeah. Because they they sort of became, I guess, more industrialised warfare. Industrialised is the wrong word, but sort of more organised, more, like, concrete, like, armies, rather than, like, a bunch of people trying to kill each other. Would that be an explanation as to why there are more castles in... I think, uh, well, not really, because if you look at, sort of, warfare in in China and the Asia-Pacific region... There are lots of extremely organised, very large armies, particularly in China, that are the product of um, cultures that have, you know, superb bureaucracies, fantastic logistics and infrastructure networks, um, the capacity to raise, clothe, equip, feed, train, huge numbers of soldiers, and that's just not seen in Europe. Like we don't see that in Europe until the 18th century, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talk- when we talk about big wars in Europe in the medieval period, you're looking at maybe tens of thousands of men, or you know, armed and trained. Well, trained is, is perhaps the wrong word. Armed and equipped and experienced. Carry the sword. Bye. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are professional soldiers, but not many. Um, whereas if you look at China, you know, there are routinely wars in which millions of people are put under arms. Mm. Um and so I don't think Europe has a monopoly on warfare. I don't think Europe has a monopoly on castle building and on fortifications. What I think does make a difference between sort of European castle construction and fortifications elsewhere is that Europe's quite a small place in comparison with India or mm-hmm. China or, you know, the North Africa, you know, these are big areas of land, big areas of territory, and there's just less to... You know, when, when you build a castle to defend a strategic point, there might not be another strategic point for quite a distance. Mm. Um, whereas in Europe, there's a lot of places to build castles, and there's a lot of very small territories that have princes or dukes or kings or bishoprics or whatever and they want to defend themselves and they build castles and it's a Mm. sign of status and it's a sign of power and all the rest of it um and you don't really get that to the best of my knowledge anywhere else in the world Mm. um 
So... Is it with China, or is it the sense that there are... Like, China is one country, and so they only really have to defend... Well, not really. I mean, China... Because it's broken apart and come together again. Yeah, it, well. it's done that a lot. I mean, <clears throat> China... The thing with China as, a, as an entity, it's been around for a very long time, very old state, um, and it's undergone lots of different rulers and lots of different borders, and its shape has changed a lot over the years in terms of what territory it does and doesn't encompass. Um, it's had lots of civil wars... Um, and it's had lots of wars against other countries. Um, but I think the critical difference is that because China is very large, if you have your local law, and bear in mind, I may well be getting this asked backwards and wrong, so I apologise. I want to state this quite clearly. If you know more about this, tell me. Yeah, I like, love learning stuff. I'm, I I'm, the village, I'm the village idiot in this, but like that doesn't mean that like Patrick is infallible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, you know... Throughout this episode and all the other episodes, I just want to say, make it very clear that if I say stuff that's wrong and you know it's wrong, show me. That's great. I love to be. I love to be wrong because it means I can find out something new and yeah, cool. Yeah, me too. It's the whole reason. I'm um, this, I like <laughs> <your property. laughs> so that aside, my understanding is that Chinese fortifications are built over a wider area, so mm. there are less of them in terms of in comparison to how much land there is. Mm. And they are not as frequently attacked. So wars in China, in the sort of classical medieval period, are frequently wars of manoeuvre. Mm. Because you have big armies, you can bring them into the field, you can move them around, and you can achieve things in battle in the field. Whereas in Europe, a lot of the time, these armies are very small, it's very difficult to keep them in the field, a siege is relatively simple, you can live off the land when you do it, and... Equally, and being besieged is reasonably commonplace. Um, I don't know if that is the case in China. My understanding is that most Chinese wars are decided were decided on the battlefield in wars of manoeuvre. Mm. Um, when you say wars of manoeuvre, do you mean like kind of with on like foot soldiers and yeah, yeah. moving so, people around yeah, that way? Yeah, so um, moving your armies around, meeting each other in the field having a decisive battle destroying one side or the other like um, the, at the 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 battle at the end of the fellowship the, the return of the king compared to the battle at helm's deep yeah kind of so helm's deep <laughs> is a siege and yeah. in, in fact i mean the pelennor field is a kind of a siege as well which one's the pelennor field i feel like that's, a, the, a bad... that's the one at the end of return of the king okay cool <laughs> with the harrow dream and all see i know a lot of the rings facts i don't know history facts <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I think I think fortification is a really fascinating topic, and the the solutions that people across the world have come up with to the the question of how best can we defend ourselves are fascinating ones. Um, just as sort of odd tangent, the Hussites in Czech. Yes, that's right. How could I forget? Um, so this is this is the Protestant Reformation period. So we're talking the sixteenth century, fifteenth, sixteenth century. That's all something like yes, yes, that's correct. There's a so my dates are all going to be slightly out because I'm pulling this out from the top of my head and a lot of this stuff I've misremembered or forgotten. But so Jan Hus is a Protestant revolutionary, really, or radical Protestant, and he gets together lots of followers and they become known as the Hussites. 
and what the Hussites are famous for are what were called war wagons. And they're essentially like an early form of tank. Why do I think of wagon wheels? Because war wagons, wagon wheels. So if you imagine a big wooden wagon, right? Yeah. And it's got thick wooden walls, reinforced in some instances with metal plate, and cannon in them. Mm. Then what you do is you get all of your war wagons and you circle them, mm. preferably on top of a hill. And you intersperse amongst these wagons your soldiers. Mm. What you've just done is you... Wait, so where are the cannons pointing? Well, out. Okay. You don't want them pointing into the circle. Yeah, that's I was going to say. Cause... So they're pointing out. Cannons are pointing out and all your soldiers <laughs> are pointing out with their spears and In my head they were pointing in and that was that. So yeah, that, that, would, that wouldn't work. Um, but you've suddenly got yourself a castle on a hill mm. that wasn't there before. And it's a mobile castle because you can hitch horses to the wagons and pull the wagons with you. Mm. Um, and that in itself is fascinating because what they come what they essentially come up with is a sort of proto-tank. It's not really a tank. It's not in the same way as it is like you know a modern tank with tracks and an engine and all the rest of it. But it's a fortification that's mobile and armed and they can take it with them and they don't have to be static. How so many people can... could that potentially hold then? Well, it's just a wagon, so you've got like a gun crew, so okay. maybe like six or seven people on it. But the point is that you have you know, 20, 30, 40 of them, and mm. you've put a big circle of them, and you've got a fortification suddenly. Oh, amazing. You can hide your men behind it, you can fight from it, you can. And, you know, the enemy army isn't equipped to fight a siege, mm. they're equipped to fight another army on foot. But suddenly their cavalry is essentially useless because you can't cavalry charge a, a wagon. Like, <laughs> it's not going to go anywhere, it's not going to do anything. Um, the infantry are exposed, yours are. It was a fantastic little like tactic. Um, say that it was surrounding a hill, but it could surround anything. Yeah, you could put it on the you know, on a field or yeah, you want to put it on a hill ideally because it means that when you go up the hill, it's really hard to go up a hill anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and going up a hill while you're fighting somebody is even harder. Mm. So it puts you at a massive disadvantage. But it didn't have to be on a hill, it could be you know, anywhere. Um you know, so stuff like that is really, really fascinating, really in- interesting. It's really cool how, that. like, terrain sort of plays a part in how these things are built then. Like, mm-hmm. you know, going back to what you were saying about how Europe, it, there's a lot more places for castles to be built in Europe. And and, go, and also with that fact about the, the, the I was going to say wagon wheels again, I've got them on with the rain now, the war wagons. Mm. Um, you know, the terrain is really going to affect what you can and can't do with those structures. And Yeah, absolutely. So when you when you're building a, a castle or a fortification, there's a couple of different things you want to do, or you, a couple of different reasons you're going to build a fortification. One is you have a settlement, you want to defend it, you fortify it. Big wall around your houses, problem solved. Like Warwick. Exactly. Or indeed, like any any city really or town in the medieval period is almost all of them were fortified. You put a wall around it, you put some towers on it, jobs jobs done. Bob's your uncle. Um, jobs your uncle. Yeah, exactly. Jobs your uncle. Um, a castle is something slightly different because yeah actually that's a good point because you've said a few you've you've kind of almost made this distinction a few times where you've said castle for one thing a fortification for another yeah so a castle is specifically a building yeah so a castle is essentially as it's at heart it's a specifically military fortification designed to command a particular area of terrain and make it so that you have a defensive position to fall back on um so a good example of this is windsor castle it's built on top of quite a big hill Uh, it commands the thames river in both directions um and it is a barracks fortification as well 
So you've got lots of you can have lots of people in it. Um, it commands the river. So if you want to get up and down the river, you can, you can be seen for a long way both ways. Um, and it also enables the people who have the castle, command the castle, to you know have somewhere to gather forces and rally out Sally from. Um, equally, rally out Sally from. Uh, yeah, sorry, I was confusing two things. So when you go forth and go out from a castle, you sally forth. Okay. Um, it's just what they called it. Um, Edinburgh Castle is another good example. It's built on top of essentially a very small um, extinct volcano. Yeah, Edinburgh's really hilly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and again, it commands the surrounding landscape really well. Um, it's an excellent defensive site. I remember um, something on top of Edinburgh Castle and you can see for miles. Yeah. You can't really see for miles from Warwick Castle. You can, you can see quite far, but yeah, I think you can really only see like the edge of Warwick. Yeah. Um, I'm not, you I'm can see it. up to like southern one direction. I yeah. think that's about it. Well, kind of with castles, basically like a ruin, but yeah. there are a few sort of towers that mm-hmm. I can't remember now. It's been years since I've been to Kenilworth Castle, um, but it's it's still there's still a couple of towers, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And Kenilworth Castle, <clears throat> the reason it's a ruin is because it was blown up during the English Civil War. Oh really? Mm-hmm. I thought it was like I didn't realize it was. No, it was I was like, going to say recent, but it's... <laughs> I mean, recent, but it's 400-odd years ago. But, um, 300-odd years ago? A couple of centuries. The, um, yeah, so Kenilworth Castle is taken by the Royalists, and then they are pushed out, and the Parliamentarians take it, and then when they get pushed out, they blow it up oh, wow. to okay. deny the Royalists the use of it. Mm. Um, That's sad. Yeah, I mean, that's war. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like, that's what happens in war, but it's just, I didn't realise that's the reason why Kenilworth Castle was ruined. Yeah, they blew it up. Yeah. Um, there's, and that's, and that sort of brings me back round in a torturous sort of manner to the idea of this episode, I guess, which is sort of development of fortification. So after a certain point, even star forts become redundant because artillery cannon fire cannon develop uh, again and they develop further and they become not only more powerful but now they can fire you know over the walls they can fire different types of shots you've gone from firing simply solid shot to explosive shells um you can fire you know all sorts of different things out of your cannon um and so fortification becomes now more about hiding almost Mm. so you can see this happen start to happen in the 19th century um with trench lines becoming commonplace the russo-japanese war and the american civil war are sort of key moments really where warfare changes from i suppose and the napoleonic wars as well um warfare changes quite significantly um and your fortifications are no longer about walls that you can stand on but they're about being able to protect yourself from artillery fire Mm. so the confederacy build a trench network outside their capital richmond um and in the last few months of the american civil war in 1865 i want to say 1865 might be wrong last few months of of war um there's essentially a pre-first world war mini first world war Mm. where there's a trench war goes on um, a trench is now this castles were trying to yeah essentially so the armies have become 
very large, very professional. They've become the arm of the state. They're no longer really the result of like a local lord or a prince or duke. They are the country's army, the state's army. Um, this is a process that really begins with the French Revolution. They're the French sort of first national army mm. where you conscript huge numbers of people um, to the French Revolutionary Army. is like it's, it's revolutionary in more than one sense. Um, but in terms of fortifications, star forts aren't really useful anymore. There's always going to be some use. It's always better to be behind a wall than not behind a wall, behind cover than not behind cover. Um, but if you look at things like the way fortifications start to be built, you start seeing concrete for bunkers being made. Mm. Um, they're very low, they're very small, they're um, you know, designed to withstand direct hits from cannon, so the walls are very thick. Um, they're not invincible, they're not impenetrable. Um, and I suppose the pinnacle of sort of modern fortification really is the Maginot Line. What's that? So what happens is that the First World War happens to start mm. with and it settles into, certainly on the Western Front, four years essentially of stalemate where both sides have dug in and they can't get past each other. Mm. And eventually it breaks and the war ends and in the interwar period the French government has a vague idea that this sort of thing is probably going to happen again. Mm. Um, there's an unfinished business politically with Germany um, and so they decide that what they're going to do is they're going to build a defensive structure along the German border. Okay. Essentially it stretches from the Franco-Belgian border down to Switzerland. It's called the Maginot Line after the guy who came up with the idea. And it's this uninterrupted stretch of fortification basically with huge casemate guns. It's like built well into the ground it has whole divisions of troops specifically set up to man it um to crew it rather they've got you know mile after mile of barbed wire they've got fences they've got machine gun emplacements there are hangars filled with tanks there's barracks in it it's a big project it was supposed to be a Franco-Belgian thing. The idea was the Belgians were going to build their own version of it as well. Mm. And they build a few forts, um, like Ibn Imal and some other places. Um, but they don't have the money and they decide actually they're just going to be neutral. And so it's fine. They're not going to, they're not going to bother. This has some catastrophic implications later in 1940 um, when the Germans invade. And essentially what they do is they go around it um, because they can't go through it, at least not without huge expenditure in lives and time and effort. And mm. why bother when you can just literally go around it? The other interesting thing that happens, of course, is that they, when they attack Belgium, they attack the fort at Ibn Imal, which is a really modern fort. It's, you know, the best fort that you can build at the time. Armoured bunkers, armoured casemates for the artillery... It's designed to withstand a siege. It's you know, designed to withstand bombing, shelling, all the rest of it. And the Germans take it in a day. Oh, wow. Um, they dropped glider troops on top of the castle, on top of the fort. And they disabled the turrets with hollow charge explosives and overran the garrison in a day. Oh, dear. 
And that sort of illustrates why fortification is no longer really a thing in military strategy. Sure. So, like, dropping people from planes kind of screws that. (laughs) Yeah. So the thing is that if you have an army that's on mostly on foot or all on foot or maybe there's some horses and you need to get past like a particular bridge or something and there's a castle on the bridge or near the bridge you have to take the castle mm. you have to attack the fort but nowadays you don't have to do that mm. because you can bomb it you can drop a missile on it you can fly over you can it. fly over it <laughs> you can you know take your amphibious assault brigade and cross the river five miles down river mm. you know you can build a bridge over it in a day and if in an hour i know. suppose as well there's a lot less like countryside to i guess get through and maybe that was sort of was that dangerous um, like you had to follow paths and stuff or no, am i it's, it's not so am much. i thinking a lot about <laughs> game of thrones <laughs> it's, it's not so much that it's it's like the idea is that when you have a an army that has to walk everywhere and the logistical infrastructure isn't really in place to support it very well. Mm. You want your wars to be reasonably short, particularly mm. if a lot of your troops are actually going to go home for harvest. Right. You know, okay. Or go home for planting. Mm. Um, and so as a result, if you build a, if you build a fort on a, on a strategic location, build a castle on a strategic location, it has to be taken... Um, in order to achieve your objective, whatever your objective happens to be. Mm. But nowadays, really since the 20th century, fortifications have a very limited use because they're static. And, you know, especially nowadays with satellite imaging and aircraft reconnaissance and all this sort of stuff, you can identify where your hardened structure is and bomb it. Um, Really recently, there was a war lasted about six weeks between Armenia and Azerbaijan over a piece of land called Karabakh. Um, and How recently is Like last year. Oh, really? That's yeah. yeah. So October, November last year. And it was in 2020? Yes, yeah, 2020, oh, wow. sorry. Um, I should have said the date for anyone listening years in the future. Um, <laughs> and the, the front line before the war started was one of the most heavily fortified front lines in the world. Um, the Azerbaijanis, uh, sorry, the Armenians rather, and the Karabakh um, defenders, um, who also known as Artsakh, so the Artsakh army and the Armenian army, mm. had built this ex- really extensive trench line system with like, multiple fallback lines of trenches. They had bunker systems. They had, you know, it was really formidable. Um, and it had defeated the uh, Azerbaijanis on several occasions who had tried to sort of probe through it prior to this war what was different this time was that the azerbaijanis had bought drones from the turks ah yeah drones and they using that aerial superiority they completely smashed through this formidable defensive line in a matter of days Mm. um and destroyed really the bulk of the armenian army without actually fighting significant battles i mean there's a list online um of confirmed destruction of armenian tanks vehicles armored vehicles artillery pieces it runs into the you know hundreds and hundreds of tanks destroyed 
hundreds of artillery pieces destroyed, something like, you know, a couple of, maybe, I think it's four, five thousand dead on either side. Um, But the fortifications were just overrun in, you know, in a matter of a week or so. And didn't really cost the other side, the attacking side, a lot of human life at all. Not really, no. I mean, on the first day, the Azerbaijanis tried to attack conventionally and got massacred. Mm. There's video out there of Azerbaijani attacks just being completely destroyed. Mm. Um, But after that first day, they used their drones extensively and just dominated the battlefield. They were hunting down and destroying radar systems, artillery pieces, rocket launchers. At one point, they ran out of targets, so they were firing their air-to-ground missiles at individual infantrymen, Um, which is pretty... Pretty terrifying, really. <laughs> the idea that the enemies run out of hard targets, so they're just going to use their expensive anti-tank missile on an individual soldier. Yeah, um, yeah. But that's the thing. Like that's why you don't really see fortifications anymore. Um, they still have a place to a certain extent, but it's a very limited one. And as technology develops, the advantage lies much more with the attacker mm-hmm. than it does the defender. For now. Um, that will probably change because it always does. It swings backwards and forwards. I suppose that's just true of any technology, really. You know, we find a way to make it advantageous to us. Yeah. And the other side does the same. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's kind of sad in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a sad note to end the episode on, really. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. But I mean, yeah, that's... I think it's fascinating, though, like... I didn't really anticipate this question getting to that point because like when I think about like when I think about why castles around you know it's it's kind of I mean you told me the past it's it's you know cannons and and catapults and things and Mm. and um but yeah you know it is it is basically about the development of fortification and how we best protect each other and how the other side (laughs) tends to like come along with better ways of um you know disabling that yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, so yeah that's fascinating that it's it's got such a, a crazy history um yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you for like rambling at me about that because that was really interesting no, it's okay. and i think a lot of people probably benefit from that as well because i hope so i didn't really understand like i knew a little bit a bit, bit about it from conversations before but it was all kind of rambled in my head um but i think the biggest sort of takeaway i guess from this is that people are always looking to find ways to like defend themselves and protect themselves and stuff and i know that we're both very sort of anti-war mm. <laughs> um and uh i hope that i hope that we tend to use that technology to sort of you know stop attacking each other instead that would be good yeah one can hope <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Yeah. It might happen one day. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, I think we're going to call that the end of the first episode of Why Are Castles Round. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you have any questions or suggestions of things that I can poke Patrick in the face with, um, then please let me know in the comments or send us a message on Facebook or wherever you're listening to this. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. See you next time.